And uh, we've also got a little bit of culture this morning as well. We've got a couple of poems for you. One at the start of the preach now, and uh, uh, one at the end in a moment. And uh, the poems are both written by John Piper, whom some of you will uh, recognize as uh, the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church for many years in, uh, 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 in the United States. And every year it's been his practice for years to uh, write a little series of four Advent poems, one for each Sunday. And uh, so these, these two poems are both from 1982, so they're, they're 40 years old, older than most of the folks in the room here. <laughs> but uh, they, they speak to us uh, about Advent, about God's plans, his purposes coming to pass. Uh, and so uh, we'll hear the first poem uh, from Johnny, if we could. Come on up, Johnny. And... Um, Thank you. Hello. To press the button at the top. Got it. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I probably don't need this anyway. Right. Um, so this mighty mercy by John Piper. Why did he choose a northern maid from Nazareth, who had to trade her Galilee for Judah just to get Messiah where he must be born? A strange and roundabout procedure for a god, no doubt who values his efficiency and rules the world from sea to sea. Why not a girl from Bethlehem? Well, half the girls in town would stem from David's line, and carpenters are plenty. There could bear the slurs and gossip on a virgin got with child who blushed and said she'd not once kissed her man this whole year past. Why not? Because God's power is vast. And in one little virgin birth, his sovereign joy and mighty mirth in saving us from evil bent could never, never rest content. Instead, he turned and set his sight to spangle Rome with all his might and took a girl from Galilee to magnify his sovereignty. And made the Roman king conspire with God to serve a purpose higher than he or any in the realm could see. A stroke to overwhelm a few with faith and cause their heart to know the truth, at least in part, that though God loves efficiency and rules the world from sea to sea, he does not go from here to there by shortest routes to save his fare. He'd rather start in Galilee. Then pass a law in Rome, you see, to get the child down south at length and magnify his sovereign strength. God rules the flukes of history to see that Micah's prophecy comes true. Why did he choose a maid from Nazareth? Perhaps she prayed that endless mercy might abound and take the longer way around. The mighty mercy we adore as we light Advent candle for. Thanks, John. Liz, I wonder if you'd like to come and light a candle for us. There's a, there's a lighter here. Can just press the button. Thank you. Oh, dear. <laughs> Oh, thank, thank you, Lord. 
Now, it's a tradition in many churches to light a candle each week during Advent. And so uh, there'll be one candle in the first week and then uh, a second candle added in the second week and a third in the third week and fourth in the fourth week of Advent. And the idea is the light gradually increases as we approach the anniversary of Jesus' birth and that sense of light in the darkness gradually growing, that sense of something good is about to happen, something's, something's coming, something wonderful. And of course, it is Jesus, our Saviour. And there were prophecies about this in the Old Testament and just a couple that I've drawn out this morning, one from Micah, chapter 5. Micah's little book of uh, prophecy buried in uh, the, the back end of the Old Testament. And he says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he was prophesying, Mike heard, about the same time as the prophet Isaiah, who's perhaps much better known and wrote a much bigger book. <laughs> That's why he's better known, perhaps. But uh, in Isaiah 7, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means, of course, God with us. So there are these two prophets, they're prophesying at about the same time, about the time of King Hezekiah, about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So God's revealed to his servants, the prophets, what's going to happen. And sometimes we have a sense of that, don't we, that uh, God's got plans for us. Sometimes they take a little while to work out. Uh, I don't suppose that, that Micah and Isaiah thought, oh, it'll be 700 years <laughs> before this happens. But that's, that's the way it worked out. That was God's good purpose. And uh, he had revealed this to his prophets. And it says in, a, in the book of Amos, he does nothing without revealing it first to uh, his servants, the prophets. Now, as we come to Advent, uh, and we're, we're looking forward to Christmas, uh, it just strikes me there's a sense of rhythm about this. We come here every year, don't we, and we say, uh, in the Anglican church, people would say, well, Happy New Year to you. It's the start of the church's year at the beginning of Advent, uh, the liturgical year. And so it, it runs in a sequence. And uh, there's a familiar uh, rhythm to, to this uh, that, that we know it be coming again next year and the year after, and we've, we've seen it years before in our lives. Uh, when I was a little boy, shops would shut on Sundays, um, and... Uh, uh, there was a rhythm to the week, which we've lost a bit here. We lived in Germany for a little while, and they still shut the shops on Sundays there. And so there's still that sense of a moment of peace in the week, a moment of, of rest. 
And th those rhythms are God-given, that, that Sabbath day rhythm is God-given. It's intended as a day of rest for us. And the year is marked in a similar way. And that's uh, an Old Testament thing, a long tradition that uh, in the law, God said, you mark the year with the Passover and the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the church has adopted this similar rhythm of Advent and then Christmas, Epiphany, Lent and Easter and Pentecost and the Ascension. And, of course, uh, in the Old Testament, those things were intended to look back to remind the Israelites of what God had done for his people. The festivals of the church are really to encourage us to look forward and to think about what Jesus has done for us, but what he will do for us as well. And so as we think about Advent, we uh, can look back to the past, um, but it's a time also for thinking about the future. And uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of new year. It's not all about uh, thinking about, you know, what went well last year and uh, uh, what, what am I going to do better and uh, what new year resolutions am I going to make. It's a time for rest in a sense. I know it's a really busy time for many of us, but I think it's quite important to find a little moment of peace in it all and to hear what God's saying to us. So grateful uh, for those words this morning from Johnny and Tim. They've been listening to what God's got for us. And I know uh, there was some of that yesterday evening as well uh, at the renewal meeting. Such, so precious. And it's a real source of comfort to us when uh, God brings a word to us in this way. It isn't much good looking at the past. C.S. Lewis said, the past is frozen and no longer flows. Uh, you know, it's, it's there in aspic in a sense. We can see it, we, we remember it for some, some better than others. But it's done and we can't change it. But the present, he says, is all lit up with golden rays. The present is the point at which time touches eternity. It's the moment at which now we can interact with God as we have been doing this morning in worship. And we can thank God because his mercy is new every morning to us. So whatever has happened in the past, there's mercy, there's fresh mercy uh, today and tomorrow. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 says, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord's my portion, therefore I'll wait for him. Wait for that moment where he speaks, where we feel God's saying to me this. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that's partly what Advent is about. We're waiting uh, for Jesus. We're waiting for that moment when we celebrate the birth of Jesus coming as a baby, the Son of God, but also the Son of Man. And it's a great time to reflect on God's purposes for us, his settled plan to quicken faith in you and me and to see us born again, his settled plan to save us and call us into his kingdom, his settled plan that we should live fruitful lives. And we can see that these plans are settled because God established them and set them out 700 years ago and more. He, he said Jesus would come, uh, but Jesus would, would, would be here. Wonderful things would happen. Micah and Isaiah testified to those. We can look back now 2,000 years on and see that those things came to pass. And we can see God's settled plans, purposes being worked out in our lives. 
They were faithful guys waiting 700 years on at the temple for Jesus. Remember the story in Luke chapter 2 of uh, Anna and Simeon. They're waiting there because Simeon's been told he'll see the Messiah before he dies and then this little baby comes in and that's him. It's the one I've been waiting for. And it's a heartfelt moment and he speaks over him and Anna, the, the prophetess, comes as well and speaks over the little baby. And Jesus was born to fulfill God's purposes and he's going to come again. So at Advent, we remember that. It's not just about his having come 2,000 years ago, but that he will come again. Now, we're uh, saved and redeemed. We're justified by faith, it says uh, in Romans chapter 3. We share in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've been looking at that this term in Colossians, haven't we? Uh, he's promised to present us blameless before our Heavenly Father. These are, these are some of God's good purposes for us. He's promised to present us blameless before his Father in heaven on the day that he returns. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's promised to give us his Holy Spirit. And we'll be looking next term at the implications of that life in the Spirit and all its fullness. And uh, so that's, that's an exciting thing to be looking forward to after Christmas and the new year. But what are the implications for us now today and in this season of Advent? Well, the first is that Jesus came as a little baby knowing uh, that he was giving up all the glory of heaven and he would live here a life of, of much less comfort than he'd perhaps been used to in heaven and would ultimately die on the cross, but then would be raised to life again. And we're called to reflect that in our lives because he died for our sin and we were singing this morning that we're, we're set free from that sin because of what he accomplished on the cross for us. That sacrificial generosity that Jesus demonstrated uh, we are to reflect in our own lives in obedience to him. Now we know we've got the grace of God, this wonderful gift of God that sees us forgiven for all our sin even things that we we, we get wrong now. And his grace is sufficient for me, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians. But although this grace is, is free, freely given to us, it wasn't bought for nothing. It was bought at the highest possible cost. Jesus died on the cross to make this grace available to us. So that grace, freely available, is there. It reminds us, Advent, Advent reminds us about this purpose that Jesus accomplished through coming, laying aside the glory of heaven, knowing that the outcome would be a painful death, humiliating. And so we should be living lives that reflect that sacrifice. Now we can be living lives that just rely on God's grace. We can think to ourselves, oh, I'll, just, I'll, I'll be a bit naughty today. The grace of God will cover all this over. It'll be fine. But that grace was bought at the highest price. It's not ours to abuse and to, uh, to, to, to misuse in that way. If we're living lives in which we are relying on God's grace to overlook willful, sinful behavior, it's time to stop. It's time to live for God. 
we've got, uh, we're hoping that next term Terry Virgo is going to come and speak to us as a church as a part of our series on life in the spirit. And Terry has been uh, a great advocate of the grace of God and its effectiveness in our lives. But he will be the last to say that it should be treated lightly. And it's a precious, generous gift from God of the utmost value. And we should prize it and treat it with respect and honor Jesus in it. Secondly, having received this tremendous gift of grace from God for ourselves, we're called to introduce others to it. Jesus, at the end of his time here on the earth, gave the disciples this great commission in Matthew chapter 28. He said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there isn't a better time of year to do this, inviting others, making disciples, uh, getting them uh, acquainted with the gospel. Every uh, home and school, well, ours isn't yet, but every, every, <laughs> every second home is decked out with Christmas decorations. Uh, we see them in the shops. Uh, we see them in offices and other workplaces, in schools. And so, so Christmas is a, a present reality for many people. And uh, we've got a kind of free pass at this season to share the gospel with people and say, why don't you come along? We've got uh, our, our event across the road next week in the afternoon, and we're back here on uh, Sunday morning in two weeks' time. Uh, and these, these will be great fun events where we can bring people, invite people, uh, bring our friends, and introduce them to the gospel. Or we can say, look, uh, you're interested in the gospel? Uh, that there's... Um, there's an Alpha course about to start at our church. Why don't, you, why don't you get signed up for that? This is a great moment at which we can do that. And it's easy to talk to people uh, about questions of faith. Uh, for one thing, this, even this week, or perhaps 10 days ago now, uh, we had the result of that census, didn't we, which, uh, which said you know, Norwich is no longer, you'll be happy to know, the least godly place in, uh, <laughs> in England <laughs> or Wales. Um, uh, but but we're, we're only one off the bottom of the list uh, of, of people who's... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, we're worse than Ipswich. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Actually, the, the place that's at the bottom of the list where people say they have no religion at all, uh, we're, we're second in that list where people just... I mean, it's a blank canvas, and I'll come back to that in a moment. The worst place where, where more people than anywhere else in the, in the country as a proportion of the local population say, no, I've got no religion, is uh, in South East Wales, Blynau Gwent, which is, I'm sorry to say, where my family comes from. <laughs> I know. And it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. <laughs> it's heartbreaking because my grandfather was such a godly man and uh, he was a coal miner and uh, he was a deacon in his little Baptist chapel. Uh, it was he who prayed for me uh, over the years, and I'm sure it's as a result of those prayers that I'm standing here today, that I'm a Christian. And yeah, he, he would be heartbroken if, he, if he'd known that his area was now uh, the place where more people than any other area said, no religion, got no interest. 
But look, that's a blank canvas, folks. P people still have that need. They still have that in interior desire to know something outside themselves, something that, that has eternal significance, something that has meaning for them beyond the, their narrow confines of existence here. And the answer to that, of course, is Jesus. So, so <laughs> we should look on this as an opportunity. There are more people, as a percentage here in Norwich, who don't know anything about religion, who said, you know, I don't have any religion, than in almost any other part of the country. So th there's a huge field of opportunity here. The fields are white to harvest, in a sense, as Jesus said. So we can, we can speak to, I think it's, it's something like 53% of the population here say so they, they don't have any uh, religious uh, affiliation. So more than half the people we talk to uh, are likely just to be a blank canvas. And we can say, something missing in your life? We've got, we've got an answer for you. And so it's an opportunity for us this season of Advent to let people know that you're a Christian, that you're rejoicing at this time of the year as we wait for uh, the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And uh, we can invite people to things uh, and see people saved. And as friends around us wonder whether, where they're going to find the money to uh, heat their homes or uh, to put food on the table or to buy a Christmas present, as they grow anxious about mortgages or rent or jobs or the war in Ukraine, we've got a gospel message of hope and peace to share with them, which we find a huge consolation personally and which we can give free of charge <laughs> to folks around us. So I want to encourage you at this Advent season to be making the most of the opportunity that it presents to share this wonderful gospel of grace with friends around us. Jana, we've got a special guest reader for, uh, uh, for the second poem. Jana has come over by special invitation. Come on, Jana. Thank you. Am I on? Ooh, I'm on. You are. Okay, this one's called Advent Beauty. Tilting on her yearly track, Advent Beauty circles back flying faster with the years, hardly giving time for tears, first to dry upon the cheek. Has it been more than a week since we laid both young and old in the ground, now winter cold? Has there really been a spring when the birds began to sing? Has there been both summer, fall, since the baby in the stall called us with a Christmas bell to sing, Oh, come, Emmanuel, tilting on her yearly track, Advent beauty circles back. Flying faster with the years, ah, but overtaking fears. Let the Lord of Advent lift every care, an early gift. See the Saviour and the Son shine in Advent candle one. <laughs> 